we get ready to uh, go beyond the talk. We are in the final week of the series called Church, and uh, just as a way of confession, uh, I have struggled greatly this week in preparing uh, my sermon, and I began the week asking the question, what does God want to say to us as a church in the wake of all of the violence uh, that we've seen in Texas and the violence that we've seen in Buffalo? Uh, what we are witnessing, what we are watching is uh, gut-wrenching, uh, it's heartbreaking, uh, it's devastating. I've gotten lots of emails, I've gotten uh, people that are saying, hey, we got to do something, it's about time that the church actually does something. Uh, but to be honest with you, no one is really saying, well, what is the something that the church is supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond um, so I'm, I'm struggling to, to get this sermon together. And to be honest with you, I started uh, two or three different sermons and really just trying to say, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? I thought, well, I'm just going to abandon the Acts series. I started the sermon, I'd get a little bit into it, and then I'd feel like I was like saying, yeah, that's not it. To which I would say, well, thank you, that's very helpful. And then I would start another one, and it's like, that's not it. And so as I began to pray, like, what is it you want to do? And I felt like God said, well, I already told you what to do. So I went back, and I began to read uh, through the opening chapters of Acts. And there, in black and white, is the answer to the question that I'd been asking all week. So I want to show you that. So grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses 23 through 31. I know I say this every week, but it's worth repeating. Bring your Bibles with you. Bring your Bibles. Interact with the text. Underline key words. Underline phrases right in the margins of your Bible. If you are at home, whether you're with your family or by yourself, have a Bible in front of you. Everyone should have their Bible. It's how we're going to learn to navigate the scriptures better. So uh, bring your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. And we are on page 912 of the Bibles under your seat. If you don't own a Bible, good news, you can keep the one under your seat. We would love to give that to you as a gift. If you are watching online and you don't have a Bible, you come by during the week and just tell us, I don't have a Bible, and we will give you one so that you can uh, navigate the scriptures with us. A little bit of context before I read the passage. Peter and John have been going to the temple every day, and they've been teaching and preaching about the gospel, about the risen Jesus, and their uh, ministry, which includes uh, miraculous signs and healings, but most importantly, it includes a clear proclamation of the gospel. Now it seems that some 10,000 people have said yes to Jesus. The passage tells us earlier that 5,000 people are counted, but that's just the men, so you got to assume it's uh, more than that because families came to Christ. So 10,000 people have put their faith in Jesus, and the religious leaders are jealous. And they are feeling uh, threatened. They're feeling like they're going to lose their power. They're going to lose their influence. So, and it's really the same as when Jesus was doing ministry on earth. There, there was such a movement towards Jesus that the religious leaders were jealous. The religious leaders were afraid of losing all of their influence. So they arrest Peter and John. They throw him in jail with the intention of pulling them out of jail in the morning and interrogating him and probably flogging them or beating them as well. So they put him in jail. That night, the angel of the Lord comes and springs them out of jail, which is a great story to go back and read. But the angel says to them, go back to the temple courts and continue to preach the gospel. So morning comes, the religious leaders gather together, they go to get 
Peter and John, and Peter and John aren't there. Another great part of the story. But then they discover that they're back in the temple and they're teaching again. So they grab them, they bring them in, and they interrogate them, and they warn them sternly that they better stop or bad things are going to happen to them. And that's where we pick up the story. So if you stand with me, we're going to start reading in verse 23, and we're going to read through verse 31. I'll read it for you, and you can read along either on the screen or if you have your Bibles open, that's great. Starting in verse 23, it says, When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do Gentiles rage and people plot? In vain, they're quoting Psalms 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentile and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, don't miss that, had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon your threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, I pray that as we unpack this passage that you would speak to each one of us. I thank you for the series of Acts. I thank you for the challenge it's been for us as leaders to think about who we are as a church. I pray in those areas as a church where we are getting it right, that you would reassure that, that you would bring uh, that understanding. But in any areas where we need to change, that you would make that clear as well. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. I pray right now that you would speak a word to each individual in this room and on this broadcast that they would leave different than they came because they have interacted with the living, powerful God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So this passage lays out for us in black and white how we are to respond to chaos. How are we to respond to evil? How are we to respond when evil sets itself up against God? Make no mistake what we've witnessed in Texas, what we've witnessed in Buffalo, the war in the Ukraine, the slaughtering of Christians in Nigeria, racial injustice, the proliferation of abortion in our country, It's all the result of people, of principalities, plotting in vain against God. It is the result of evil. There's a battle. Like you get that, church, right? There is a battle raging all around us. There is an enemy, and he is determined to kill and to steal and to destroy And the further we move away from God, listen, church, the further we as a country or you as an individual move away from God, the more chaos you're going to experience, right? The more havoc is going to be unleashed on this world. I've gotten lots of emails. 
a few posts that I've seen that, that we should do something. In the wake of this recent shooting, we should do something. So there's a call for gun control, or there's a call for greater mental health efforts, or there's a call to put uh, armed guards in every school, or there's a call to, put, uh, to, to arm every teacher. There's all kinds of ideas, but what we seem to be missing is what's going on is a spiritual crisis. The further we, the people, move away from God as individuals or as a nation, the more evil and the more destruction we're going to see. The more we devalue human life, the further away we move from the very idea that you are an image bearer of God, that God has created you to bear his image, that God loves you beyond your wildest imagination, that you were created with a plan, with a purpose, in a particular way. The further we move from that truth, the more chaos is going to ensue. When we move away from God, we give evil a beachhead. We give evil an access point to wreak havoc in our lives and the lives of our country. I know it sounds overly simplistic and maybe a little bit naive, but the only thing that will stem the tide of what we are seeing is Jesus. And we, the church, listen, we, the church, are called to bring the message of Jesus into the dark and dying world. We are the light. We are the salt. This series that we're doing from our Acts has been a stark reminder to me that we are God's plan A and there is no plan B. So let's unpack this passage from Acts. Look at the very end of it. Acts 31 says, when they had prayed, pretty important phrase for us to hang on to, and you're going to see that as we go through this. When they had prayed, not before they prayed, (coughs) afterwards, when they had prayed, the place they were gathering together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If the answer to what this world needs is Jesus... And it is. And if we are the ones who are going to tell the world about Jesus, and we are, then what we need is we need this place to be shaken. Like we need the very foundations of this church to be shaken. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to proclaim the word of God boldly to a world that is dying. This moment in Acts, it's often called the second Pentecost. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Pentecost in in Acts 1 and you look at this Pentecost in Acts 4, there's some amazing similarities. In both cases, the people are sequestered in a particular place and they are praying in unity. They've come together in unity. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they are praying together. In both cases, there is a physical manifestation of the power of God. And in both cases, the people are filled. The exact same verb is used. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. The same people that were filled in Acts 1 are filled again in Acts 4. And in both cases, they proclaim the message of God boldly to the people. 
We don't know how much time has passed before first, between first Pentecost and second Pentecost, but we know that it's less than a year, probably more likely a couple months at the most. So this would be measured in days and weeks, not in years and centuries yet. They still need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They still experience a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4 is making it clear to us that we all need to be filled again and again and again. That being filled with the Spirit is not a once and done experience. That we need a fresh encounter. We need a fresh filling. We need it daily. People often ask me, Pastor Doug, how can I pray for you? And I love that question and I'm grateful for that question. And there's really only one prayer that I need And it's Ephesians 3. You can pray that over me. You can pray this over your kids. You can pray this over our church. But Ephesians 3 says that I would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What does that mean? Overflowing with the spirit of God in my life. Filled to the measure. Pray it. Pray it for me. Pray it for your leaders here at Grace. Pray it for your spouse. Pray it for your husband. Pray it for your wife. And pray it over your kids. What if every morning you prayed that your kids would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? Not once. Not as a cool experience, but as a daily thing. Don't miss this. The same people throughout the story of Acts are filled over and over and over. It says they were filled and they preached. Right? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and God did mighty works among them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaim the word of God with boldness. If we want to impact this community, if we want to impact the world with the message of Jesus, then this is what we desperately need. We need the blessing of Pentecost. We need the Holy Spirit to shake this place with power. How are we to respond to this darkness that we're seeing all around us? We respond as Holy Spirit-filled people who are declaring and proclaiming Jesus. We can't be the church that God has called us to be without it. I don't know how to say this any different, but, but just track with me for a minute. I love grace. I love this church, and and I believe God is doing some really awesome stuff in this church. I can name dots of ministries that are having huge impact. I love what God is doing through Allie and the women's ministry. I love the the new life that Tony and those guys have built into the men's ministry. I love the sportsmen. I love so many different things we're doing at Grace that's having an impact, that's advancing the kingdom of God. I love the way we worship together. And I love what we're doing as a church. All that being said... If we want what God has for us on this corner of Maras and I-94, we need a Pentecost experience. And it's not because the church is broken, but because the world is broken. I want you to look at the passage with me because I I think it becomes a blueprint. It becomes a a roadmap for us of of how to to have this happen. What did they do that that caused, if you will, that brought about this second outpouring? It's a great script. So Peter and John's lives are being threatened. And look what they do in verse 23. They went to their friends. They went to their community. They went to their people in verse 24. And they lifted their voices together to God. Don't miss this. 
They didn't gather as a leadership team. Right? They didn't just sequester those people who had been given titles. They went to their people. The, the original language there is, is the same language that's used to Jesus when it says that Jesus and John says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. He came to his posse. He came to his family. He came to his clan. He came to his people, but his people rejected him. They went to the people, their support system. They went to the church and they gathered together and they prayed. Why does this matter? Why does this part of, of Acts matter? Because you, you have the power to pray the prayers that will shake the foundation of this church. You have the power. Right? And I think sometimes you're hoping that we're going to get it right and it's going to happen. But you have the power. Whether you're the Clemish or the Kings, whoever you are, you have the power to pray the prayers that will bring the Holy Spirit down on this place. I don't know how I can say it any more emphatically. That is why you have to participate in the ministry of prayer that's a part of who we are. They went to their own and they prayed. And they prayed in unity. Right? They, they lifted their voices to God together. If you look at Acts 1 and you look at Acts 4, those are two common words. Uni there is unity. They were united. They were as one. And they prayed. One of the hindrances to the full movement of God in our church is our division. Right? We can be so divided, but we are called, we are commanded to be one. We are told that our primary identity has to be Jesus. So it's Jesus over race. Right? And it's Jesus over gender. And it's Jesus over politics. And until we get this right, the Spirit of God is not going to move in the way that we are asking him to move. So we come together in unity and we pray. Acts 4, the second Pentateuch. It's, it's this beautiful picture of the church and the people praying down the Holy Spirit. Why did they do that? Because they knew they weren't going to be successful in the ministry unless they had this fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. I love what John Piper writes. He writes, if the early church with their first-hand experience of the risen Christ and their immediate access to the apostles needed to seek a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to carry on, how much more we? Like how much more we? How much more do we need this encounter with the Spirit? In a world where evil is all around us, when people and nations rage against God, where people can walk into a grocery store or an elementary school and take the lives of others. In a world like that, they need Jesus. And the darker it gets out there, the greater the light of Christ shines. I want to stay with the text because I want you to see that the church gathers, the church prays, and the way they pray 
becomes a script, if you will. It becomes a model for us. How are we supposed to pray? So we're going to come together, and we're going to come together in unity, but how are we supposed to pray? Look at verse 23. They begin their prayer with prayers of adoration. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and, and everything in them. And then they move to God's sovereignty in verse 27 and 28. For truly the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, to verse 28, to do whatever your hand, right, God, they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God, you are an all-powerful God, and you are in total control. Nothing happened to your son, Jesus, that you didn't know was going to happen. Right, You are sovereign and you are all-powerful. God's sovereignty is hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. In the wake of what we've seen over the last couple weeks, it's hard to understand God's sovereignty, but it doesn't make it any less true. Right, And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of God's sovereignty. They pray the scriptures, they quote Psalms too. Why do people, why do governments rage against you, God? Why are we, your very creation, so capable of such destruction? And it begs the question again, why, why do they pray these prayers? Why do they start with these types of prayers? Is it, is it like God has forgotten who he is? Are they assuming that God forgot he was in control? God, we know that you're powerful, we know that you're sovereign, but it seems that you're not paying attention. There's bad things happening all around us. Of course not. They pray the prayers because they're the ones that need to be reminded. Some 250 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are commanded to remember. Not remember intellectually, but remember deep in our heart who God is and all God has done and what God's plans are. We have to pray the attributes of God to God because it puts us in the right place, a place of respect and understanding and humility before we make the bold petitions. They also prayed this way because this is how Jesus taught them to pray. Remember when the disciples went to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what are they doing? They're taking time to hallow the name of God, to say, God, you are good. You are big. You are all powerful. You created everything we see. You created all of the people that we see. You are the creator and you are sovereign. They're hallowing the name of God. I love the fact that they pray the scriptures. Knowing and praying the scriptures is critical. I love that I went back and listened to Pastor Kevin's message from a couple weeks ago. And I love the fact that he called you to be in the word of God more. He said, be in the word of God daily. Memorize the word of God. Know the word of God. Why is that so important? Because sometimes when you don't know what to pray, all you can pray is the scriptures. Know the scriptures. Your theology matters. Our theology matters matters. That's why we are committed to being a word and a spirit church. When you're at a loss for words, when you see what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, sometimes all you can do is pray the Psalms. Find a Psalm 
that resonates with the circumstance and just pray that psalm. You know, in his darkest hour, Jesus prayed the psalms. Right? And Jesus, when he was tempted, he fought the temptation by quoting scripture. Pray prayers of adoration. Pray the scriptures. And then, after that, make your petition to God. Look at what they asked for. Again, it's a script for us. Verse 29 says, Now, Lord, upon their threats, grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Stretch out and, and your hand to heal. What a great prayer for us to pray over our country. Stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They say, enable us to speak your word with all boldness. I think it's fascinating. They didn't pray for God to smite the religious leaders. Like, God, they're, they're persecuting us. Would you just wipe them out? Right, just kill them all. It'd make things a lot easier on us. They didn't even pray for a change in leadership. They're not praying against the current oppressive Roman government. They didn't even pray for protection. They didn't say, God, keep us from being arrested. Keep us from being persecuted. All they prayed is do whatever you got to do, God, so that we can proclaim the word of God with boldness. Do what you have to do, God. Just enable us to have an impact for your kingdom. This is our daily prayer. Maybe I should say that different. This needs to be our daily prayer. You want to pray for grace every day at 930? Pray this prayer. Pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we would be enabled to speak the word of God boldly. What if before you got out of bed every day, before you put your feet on the floor, you said, God, would you fill me with your spirit and would you enable me to speak the word of God boldly over my spouse, over my kids, over my coworkers, over the person who packs my groceries in a bag? Show me how to speak the word of God boldly. I love this. Whenever we gather together at 9.30, so we pray every morning at 9.30, we've invited you to set your alarms and pray with us. At the current time, we have about 1,000 people who have committed to doing that. I'd love for it to be more. So when your alarm goes off, pray for us. If you don't know how to pray for us, I told you today, pray that we'd be filled with the Spirit and that we would be enabled to speak the Word of God boldly. If that's all you pray, that's okay. But every time we're together, and I think it is every time, uh, and Pastor Kevin is in the circle, which sometimes he is, but, you know, sometimes he isn't. Sometimes we have other appointments. But when he's in the circle, this is what he prays every time. Lord, help us to be lights and vessels today. What's he praying? He's praying, enable us to speak the word of God boldly. Show us how to be the church you've called us to be. He prays it every time we're together. Why? Because that is our mission. That's why we exist as a church, is to speak the word of God boldly. Imagine if we just earnestly prayed this prayer over and over. If we, if we didn't move on to the next thing until the spirit of God moves and the foundation is shook and we began to speak the word of God boldly. 
My prayer is that God would use this little gathering of folks on the corner of Maras and I-94 to bring healing to our country, to bring healing to our community, to do mighty works among us so that we can make Jesus known. What does our country need? They need Jesus. As I wrote my sermon late in the week, because it took me a long time to figure out that God had already told me that I was supposed to teach Acts. Um, but it was late in the week and I was writing my sermon, I just couldn't help think about the youth and how they are being bombarded. So much crap, and I don't have a better word than that, at least not one that I can say up here. And what do our youth need? They just need Jesus. And I know it sounds simple and I know it sounds naive, but it's not. Jesus is the answer. And we are the ones who are called to proclaim the word of God boldly, to proclaim the gospel and bring that truth, not just to our youth, but to a world. We are the harbingers of truth. We are now the voice crying out in the wilderness. And my encouragement to you is join me in praying for unity and praying for the spirit to move and that God would enable us to speak the word of God boldly. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Shake this church. Do what you have to do. Amen. We're going to move to communion. I'm glad that we're taking communion today. It's an opportunity for us to stop and remember. It's an opportunity for us to do what the scriptures say, to examine ourselves. Lord, where am, where am I hindering the movement of your spirit? What in my life is causing problems? The scriptures actually say, if you have angst against your brother or your sister, make it right before you even come to the table. Why would that be so important? Because unity is critical for the power and the effectiveness of our prayers. So we stop for a minute and we reflect. So if you got elements when you came in, great. If you didn't, feel free to jump up and come walk down and get elements. There's uh, gluten-free elements and non-gluten-free, gluten-ish elements. Um, gluten-full. Gluten-free and gluten-full. Help yourself get the elements. Uh, we're just going to take a few minutes as the band plays just to, to have some quiet reflection. Ask the Lord what you need to leave. And as our friend Martin has taught us, what do you need to take away? And uh, I will come up and we will take communion together.
The scriptures tell us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me. It says in the same way he took the cup, Elijah's cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you, a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, remember me. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to remember. Not intellectually, but deep in our soul that we would remember. Your body broken, your blood shed. That you were willing to make yourself nothing. To come as a human, to come as a servant to go to the cross, to reconcile us to God. You showed us the full extent of the love of God. Help us to know and help us to remember and help us to be enabled to make bold proclamations of this truth to a lost and dying world. The scriptures tell us that after they had taken the meal, that they went away singing a hymn. So we sing... Uh, after each one of these, we're going to sing a song that very much uh, feels like an anthem, feels like a, a reinforcement of what we have done. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. I didn't do this the first service, but I'm going to encourage you as a show of unity to just get up and come down and let's sing this song a little closer together. So if you're willing, I'd love for you to just come down and stand right up here. We'll sing and then I'll dismiss us after the song.
you can stay here for a moment. The people that prayed for you this morning heard that there are a few who are struggling with feelings of desperation, possibly feeling very stuck. We would love to pray for you. Someone's dealing with fear, uh, specifically of being vulnerable in public places. We'd love to pray for you. Physical ailments possibly linked to soul wounds like child abuse or other forms of stress. We'd love to pray for you. If you have a physical or spiritual need, there's a couple numbers on your screen. If you're online, you can call. There's people that can meet you down here and pray over you and pray for you. I want to encourage you uh, to be at pre-service prayer half hour before each service as we learn to pray in unity for the spirit to move in a powerful way so that we are enabled to declare the word of God with boldness. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Peace be with you.